0: One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and followed him. This is God's word. you may be seated.
1: I want to thank Mark for um, the opportunity to speak tonight. He was busy this afternoon and wanted to make sure that, uh, with the timing of that, uh, that everything would run smoothly. And so he asked me to be ready to speak tonight. I'm always honored to have the opportunity to stand up in this pulpit. I must, while I have this opportunity, uh, share a couple of things um, about the mental wellness ministry that are coming up that uh, I'm intimately involved with. I worked with Don and Carol Hollins as leaders of this ministry, and uh, in our bulletin, we've advertised over the last several weeks about several things, and one of them is coming up this coming weekend, the Pathways to Hope Conference. Uh, This is a mental wellness conference actually going on here in San Antonio sponsored by NAMI, by the county, and by several other groups, and um, it's free. It's down at the Tobin Center, and I encourage you to go to their website to check it out. You have to register first before uh, you can participate in it, but um, it is an excellent, looks to be an excellent conference, and I'm looking forward to going and attending and seeing all the different things that they say about uh, mental wellness and reaching out to mental wellness and, and working with those folks closer to home we have several different opportunities one is uh, something that i lead on tuesday nights it's called family grace groups it's essentially a um, a family support group it's meant for families of those who have mental wellness issues and uh, we did this in the spring and things went well and we're going to begin meeting again in september uh the first tuesday of september and so we're looking forward to that and we invite everyone to join us we have a 14 week uh, curriculum that we go through and so we'd enjoy anyone who'd like to join to come with us visit with me afterwards about that or call or visit with don and carol about that they know all about what this is involved with they also are going to be starting a nami class uh family to family class uh the second week of september on tuesday night as well so be sure to notice those things. There's more information in the bulletin. And we'd love for you to participate in those. So those are very good. Uh, before we get started, I'd like for you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. You've just read from the text of the evening. Let's pray as we begin. Father, you have blessed us in many, many ways today. You've blessed us with good rain this morning. You've blessed us with good friendship, good worship today as a church and father now we have an opportunity to come together to look at your word to learn more about you and about the way to live life i pray father that you will enlighten us and instruct us at this time and father more than that i pray that you will help us as we seek to grow and go throughout this week i pray father that as we go from this place that you will take us And you will help us as we seek to spread your kingdom ever greater, everywhere we go. It's through your Son we pray. Amen. Now, of course, I must share a short story as I begin my lesson tonight. It's kind of connected to the lesson. A woman decides to have her portrait painted. And she tells the artist, I want you to paint me with diamond rings, a diamond necklace, emerald bracelets a ruby brooch, and a gold Rolex watch. The artist says, but you're not wearing any of those things right now. I know, she says, but in case I should die before my husband, I'm sure he will remarry right away, and I want his new wife to go crazy looking for all the jewelry. (laughs) So I want us just to think for a second about material things, material things that we have. And I want us to think about spiritual things. Because essentially at the top of your sheet, and I hope, did everyone get a handout tonight? We have handouts and we're going to be working through that handout. And at the top of the handout sheet is a question. And that question is, are you willing to give up everything and follow Jesus? This is a picture of a good friend of Lori's and mine. His name is the man uh, uh, Everett Brittingham. He's a fine leader of the Comite Church of Christ. This is the small church that I established. Uh, well, I didn't establish. God establishes the church. But it's a church that I worked with while I was in San in, uh, not San Antonio, but Louisiana and Baton Rouge. Uh, I was there for eight years, and uh, my children were born there. Melinda calls herself a Louisianan for that reason, whatever a Louisianan is. But um, we took that picture on July the 30th in that kitchen, right there uh, on august 12th it started raining in baton rouge where he lives and on august 13th it flooded this house and it looked about like that all the way up to the rafters that family lost everything he and his daughter who lives with him his wife has already passed away lost both their cars cars, and everything you saw in that picture everything though not for the same reason But I come back to this, the question, because as I thought about this question, as I thought about this story of Jesus, it makes me think about, am I willing to give up everything that I own for Jesus? Am I willing to walk away from everything for Jesus? Whenever the topic of Christians and money comes up, it's not always concerning fundraising or building of buildings or folk... Are focusing on the material worlds. It's a concern about the whole of the Christian walk. It's a concern of everything that I have and do. It's a focus on the reality that our faith is impacted by every decision I make, not only at the grocery store when I go and buy groceries like I did yesterday, but it's also impacted by when I'm at my computer screen and buying things from Amazon and those kind of things. William Temple put it this way, the spiritually minded person does not differ from the materially minded person, chiefly in thinking about different things, but in thinking about the same things differently. It's possible to think materially about God and spiritually about food. You see, in Jesus' day, the Greeks really They divided matter and spirit. Matter, material things, were all evil for them. They were things that were considered uh, infected by evil things. And so anything that was made of matter was wrong, was to be done away with, was to disintegrate at the end. But spiritual things were good. The spirit was positive. The Bible has a very, very different message starting from the very beginning. In fact, that's the story of Genesis 1, the creation. It begins right at the very beginning by saying creation is good. Everything in creation from day 1 to day 7 is good over and over and over again. So Jesus had more to say about money than he did about prayer. He had a whole lot to say about money. He had a whole lot to say about material things. And that was because he wanted people to understand spiritual things. But to understand the spiritual, we have to understand that connection to the material, that they are interconnected. Think for a second who is Jesus? Think about the incarnation. What is the incarnation? The incarnation is a connection of the spiritual and the material. That is what Jesus is is doing. He's wanting to connect both of these things together. We are not to think of ourselves as spiritual self and a material self, but together, all one thing. Our souls are not souls temporarily in bodies that are going to be gone one day. But we are going to continue to have bodies. 1 Corinthians 15 affirms that clearly. So the idea of body and spirit being one and coming together is very much addressed and lived out by Jesus. And that's something that he stresses in the call of Peter. Because the call of Peter incorporates the spiritual and the physical together. He wants Peter to see These things are interconnected right at the very beginning. So look with me at the text in Luke chapter 5, starting right at the very beginning. And let's kind of separate the text out for just a few minutes. It can be divided into eight parts, which I'll explain. And I'm dependent upon a scholar by the name of Ken Bailey for his information that I found quite helpful. Word. We begin with the word Jesus, in verse 1, 2, and 3, is teaching. That's where this passage begins. That's where this story begins. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, he's teaching. The people were crowding. And he saw at the water's edge two boats. How convenient. And so, he takes one of those boats. Just so happens to belong to a man by the name of Peter. A Simon. So they're pushing him against him. He decides, I need to sit down. I got a boat right here. I'm just going to get in this boat and go out a little bit. And so he, um, he decides that he needs to teach in this boat. So it's kind of fascinating. There's a picture of Jesus' boat that Mark showed us last week even. I thought this is a great picture. I'd seen it, a picture of this online once before, so I thought it was cool. Mark actually got to go see it. But um, um, as he said last week, uh, this is a, uncovered a few years ago. Um, but this, is, this, this indicates the size of the boat that Jesus was probably in with Peter, with him in this boat. Maybe hit Andrew in him as well. Uh, but he teaches from this boat. There's Peter in there with him. And what's interesting is Peter and Jesus already know each other. This is not happenstance that it's just Peter and Jesus and they just happen to meet each other because in the the chapter before Jesus is in Capernaum in chapter 4 verse 38 they leave the synagogue and went to the home of Simon and Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her so he bends over rebukes the fever and it leaves her and she begins to wait on them and so Simon and Jesus already know each other they Jesus had spent the whole Sabbath day with Simon. And so they're intimately aware of each other. And so Jesus asks help from Peter. And so the first word on your sheet is word. Imagine Peter sitting there in his place. This is his space, his boat. And he's listening to Peter, to Jesus he can't get away. It's kind of a captive audience. He can't move, and he's just listening. So we get to the next line, verse 4. And really the word there, to put in your, sheet, in your blank, is command. Jesus looks at him, and he says, put out into the deep water, and let down the nets for a catch. Now, fishing done in Galilee with a net is done in a particular way in a particular time if you're going to fish in the daytime you fish a different way but Jesus ignores all that now does anybody remember what Jesus did as a profession before he showed up as a teacher in Capernaum he was a carpenter and so here is Peter who is the professional fisherman he's the one who owns the boat He's got partners who own a boat. And he's the one who has, um, uh, and and he's the one who's sitting there, been listening to Jesus teach. And Jesus says, put out into the deep water and let's go fishing. Such a wonderful statement. But what does Peter do? But verse 5, Simon obeys. That's the third blank. And you just kind of wonder, because the word used here, In verse 5 is the word master. The word in the original language is epastetes. Here which means teacher. It can be translated as boss or chief. That's one of my favorite words is boss. If you know me very well, I like to call people boss. It's kind of a word of endearment sometimes. So Peter here says, Master, we've worked hard all night. Notice what he says first. We've worked here all night. He wants to make sure Jesus is aware. I've been up a little while, and I've already been fishing. And I haven't caught anything. But because you say so, okay, I'll put down one time, and we'll see what happens. I haven't caught nothing, but because you say so, we'll do it. And then the third word, fourth word on your sheet. Let me get this straight. One, two, three, four, is the word "power." Verse six and seven. When Peter beckons, uh, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. So obviously they put down their their, their nets. We've already read the story. Uh, there's such a load of fish that their nets begin to break. In verse seven, they signal their partners, and I've underlined the word "signal" there in the text. You see, you see. Why didn't they yell at their partners across the water? Wouldn't you think across the water you would just yell out? Wouldn't that be the natural thing to do? Because your water carries, you know, the, the sound carries across the water real easily. Why wouldn't you just yell at somebody across the water? Hey, come and help me with the fish. I've got this great big catch. What happens if you tell everybody along the seashore, all the other fishermen, you've got a great big catch of fish? What happens next? To all the other fishermen. All the other fishermen come fishing, don't they? Everybody say yes. Yes, that's what happens. So, what do you think Peter was doing when he signaled his partners to come helping? He was protecting his catch. That's what he was doing. When he signals his partners, he's protecting his catch. He signals his partners, you guys come help me. They Get them all into the boat. So, this takes a little bit of time. They get all these fish up into these boats. And now, that boat that you saw a few minutes ago is riding just barely above the water. It is full of fish. And they're so excited because these guys, what are they thinking? They're thinking, what does fish equal? Money. And are these guys rich? No. So they've got some money, right? So they're excited. I've got some money. I actually got something out of a preacher once. He's got me some money. Mark, do you hear that? <laughs> this is like winning the lottery with a day trader who buys shares in the morning and hoping to win big, and he does. This is great. Well, we know the rest of the story. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, He fell to his knees. The next blank is the word surrender. You know, I can just imagine that Peter and Andrew and James and John, these guys, I mean, I believe very strongly that they had been listening to Jesus for several days. Maybe they'd been listening to Jesus for several weeks. They'd heard his message. They were already pious Jews. They were very committed to the message. And I think as they were excited at first about this, they started thinking about this. And one of the things that you have to think about is, I've worked all night long and I haven't caught anything in these same waters... And then all of a sudden, somebody comes along who has no idea at all about the water and says, there's fish here, and then I find fish. You start to think, why does he know there's fish here? And they start to put two and two together. They start to think, why does he know? Who is this guy? And Peter starts to realize something. He starts to realize Jesus is not epistates. He is not teacher. He is not rabbi anymore. And so Peter says something totally different here. Did you notice a change in wording? Everybody say yes, I noticed a change in wording. Because he doesn't. He doesn't say master in verse 8 like he did in verse 5. He says Lord. Lord, go away because I'm sinful in Peter's world, the defiled violates the clean. I remember very distinctly Mark teaching in those sermons a while back about how in the Jewish world, the defiled always infects the clean, and how he talked about that, and he's right it's never the other way around. The clean never infects. The defiled, it's always the defiled infects the clean, and Peter knows that. And so Peter is saying to Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know you are not a teacher. You are Lord. You are something different. You are, I think he's thinking about him being Lord and Messiah right here and now. I don't know if he knows all of that right now, but he knows he's something really, really special. And in verse 9 and 10, we get, I I put this in parentheses, the word is insight. This is really a parenthetical statement because what we really are told in verse 9 and 10 is, is an insight into what Peter and James and John and Andrew are thinking. For all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. See, all of these guys were just absolutely floored. They didn't know what happened. But amazement, they all remember later when this is being written down. And so at this point, Jesus responds in verse 10 with a command. And this is where Jesus changes everything for these guys. Because Jesus understands things differently And so he gives a command, this is your next blank. Jesus understands things differently. In his new kingdom, the clean Jesus can purify the unclean Peter. All that's needed is contact. That's all that's needed. Jesus changes his words and assures him that from now on, you're going to be catching men. The word used here refers to catching alive, not catching dead fish but catching alive men. And so Jesus starts Peter in his physical world of work. I've always been catching fish. This is where I live and move. I'm a fisherman. And he moves him to the spiritual world of catching men, of doing something that Jesus wants him to understand is still a very physical thing. And that is the world of conversions and moving people into the kingdom. Jesus wants Peter to understand our kingdom is going to be expanding. And this is what I want you to be about, Peter. And so verse 11, last one, obey. Verse 11, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Um, Ken Bailey says: the mark of a Middle Eastern story as genuine is that you have dramatic effect and exaggeration. And so he says, the end of this story, as this, they pull up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him, shows that it's a genuine story. And he says. I don't think they actually left those fish to rot. Now that, if you stop and think about it, let's stop and think about the fact. Did Peter have a mother-in-law? Everybody say yes. Does a mother-in-law like to eat? Yes. Mother-in-law lived in Peter's house, didn't he? Didn't she? Yes. That means mother-in-law is dependent upon Peter for livelihood. Now, did Peter go off and follow Jesus for the next three years? He did. Now, how did she survive for the next three years? Two boatloads of fish helped things a long ways away, didn't it? I don't think those fish rotted on the side of the seashore. I don't know if those guys helped or somebody else helped, but those fish were used to pay for those families to survive. Until they got some other income. He, he talks about the reality that most likely they took care of these fish and then followed Jesus. But following Jesus is the core of this story. And that's why it ends right here. They left everything and followed him. That's the message of the story. And that's what Luke wants you to to remember and that's the point at the end the core issue here is the ability of jesus to change someone's understanding of what is most important in your life when peter began this day he was exhausted and tired he had stayed up all night long catching fish but he wasn't a catcher of fish he was a fisher of fish he hadn't caught any fish overnight had he y'all say no no he hadn't caught any fish but by the time he'd finished that day he had caught a bunch of fish but he changed his profession for Peter the most important thing had been fishing but he changed now and he left everything and he followed Jesus he merged spirit and matter into the kingdom of God understanding that the way that things happens for him is to become a fisher of men instead of a fisher of fish. We are under the same temptation. We think we must decide between spirit and matter, between things of this world and things of of God, that those are two different things. But the reality is we merge them both in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we learn to become fishers of people, expanding the kingdom wherever we are, in whatever way that we live and move and have our being, helping them see God and God's glory. We can do that in so many different ways. There's a lot of different ways that this church does that, through the care cottage, through passing out of school supplies, through the sharing of God's word, through Bible classes, through taking people out to lunch after class today. All kinds of different things that we do. It was interesting today. I went to the ACU event for um, Jennifer Allen. And what's fascinating is how Jennifer is expanding God's kingdom through the use of, of helping people with autism. That's part of expanding God's kingdom. It's not a work of this church necessarily, but I believe it's a work of God's kingdom. And those are ways that we do these things. And so the question is, are you willing to leave everything and follow Jesus? That's what we need to be about. We need to be finding ways to expand God's kingdom in our lives. That's what God wants us to do every day. And so we get up every morning and we say, God, how can I expand your kingdom today? How can I help someone today? What can I do for someone today and you never know who God's going to put in your path this day. You never know. There's all sorts of people out there who need you today. Today it was fascinating. I always enjoy Sunday mornings because God sends all sorts of people our direction on Sunday mornings. And there was at least five visitors here this morning that needed to be here for whatever reason. And we reached out and touched them in various ways as a church. But every day Every day of my life, I walk and do all sorts of different things. And we touch lives. I touch lives. You touch so many more lives. I'm asking you, touch people every day. Right now, we're about to sing a song. If you have a need and you want to share that need or have a a prayer request that you want to share with us, we ask that you go ahead and let us know of that. Uh, We would love to hear from you right now as we stand and sing this invitation song.
2: The earth you reign on high, every mountain stream, every sunset sky. But my one request, Lord, my only aim is that you reign in me again. Lord, reign in me, reign in your power over all my dreams in my darkest hour. You are the Lord. So won't you reign in me again Over every thought, over every word May my life reflect the beauty of my Lord You mean more to me than any earthly thing So won't you reign in me again Lord, reign in me, reign again Over all my dreams, in my darkest hour, you are the Lord of all I am, so won't you reign in me again? If you're unable to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, it will be available for you in the room behind me uh, after we we sing, or as we sing the song, you can proceed to that and you can be served at that time. We're going to sing the steadfast love of the Lord. And then after that, we'll have our closing prayer.